0: Today's episode of the Greatest People You've Never Met podcast is brought to you by the Visual Identity Vault. The Visual Identity Vault is the official merchandise supplier for the greatest people you've never met. You can pick up the basics like t shirts, hoodies, to headwear, and premium wear. The Visual Identity Vault is a full service, decorated apparel and marketing business located in my hometown of Fairmont, Minnesota. Shipping is included in all pricing, so we make it simple to order pay, will produce, and ship. Tviv, a proud sponsor of the GPY and M-Pod. Alright, welcome in to another episode of the Greatest People You've Never Met podcast. Joining me today from Sonny, I hope uh Twin Cities metro area he's shaking his head no Mr. Pat Leslie Pat what's going on brother how you doing
1: I'm doing fantastic it's uh good to see you and uh hear from you
0: Yeah good to, good to hear from you it's been a minute um I guess yeah I mean I'll give the intro today I'll do that Uh so Pat is currently the head women's basketball coach at Minneapolis North um also the Polars. North, St.
1: North, St. St. Paul, Paul, North excuse St. Paul. Excuse me.
0: That's where I get confused because Minneapolis North, right? They're the Polars too, right? Is that correct?
1: I made the same mistake when I applied for the job.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um Also a, a coaching connection through Twitter. Um We started interacting on Twitter when you were still down in Texas and then at Glacier Clinic one night up in the cities, I think it was right before COVID, and I was like, gosh, that guy in the front of the room sure looks familiar, and then I was telling Matthew Wood, and I was like, I, I think it's this guy, Pat Leslie, that I was talking to on Twitter, but I didn't want to be a weirdo, and then Matthew's like, yeah, dude, I met him on Twitter too, and that's him, and so here we are, um, so lucky enough to have you join me today, appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother, um, anything else to add to that intro, I mean, it was kind of all over the place, but
1: no, it's it's funny how Twitter can bring people together. Yeah, um, through its app, and it's it really is interesting, right?
0: It's a it's a wonderful space if you use it correctly. I believe I would say <laughs> so. Uh,
1: yes, I, I agree.
0: I think that's the best way to put it. But uh, no, uh, short notice, Pat hopped on. I said, "Hey, man, I really want to get you on, but I want to build up a bank before spring ball. So, appreciate you for hopping on here with me." Uh, let's just let's just get into it, man. Um, so, are you originally from Texas? Correct?
1: No. Uh, so, I'm originally from Nebraska. Oh, that's uh, right. I grew up Here in Nebraska, we go. Yep. And I uh, I moved when I was about 16 to LA, which was a transition. Yeah. And then along the way, um, back and forth from Korea several times and ended up in Texas moved to North St Paul Minnesota and here I am today
0: yeah um the Korea part is something I really want to touch on but being 16 years old that transition from Nebraska to LA honestly probably helped you in more ways than you were ever aware of then but at that time what was some of those challenges I mean I couldn't imagine growing up in Southern Minnesota and then, Hey, we're moving to LA. So, I mean, what was kind of the thought process there? What was going through your, through your mind?
1: Well, my uh, parents were divorced and uh, ultimately I decided to move with my dad and um, moving to LA was way rougher than I could have ever expected. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to meet new people and joining the new high school your junior year uh, it doesn't exactly go well. No. Um, but you know, uh, I went through those challenges and it's funny when you say that, cause I feel like at one point I thought about moving back and I'm really glad I didn't cause it allowed me to build the grit that I have today to not give up on something when things got hard. For sure.
0: Yeah, you're telling me that it wasn't like every high school-based movie that we ever saw, you didn't come in, and you were automatically like the cool kid or getting into fights in the big school. It wasn't like that?
1: No, you know, they called me Nebraska Pat, and they assumed (laughs) I just grew up in cornfields. And I was like, that's not how it's like. And they're like, well, I remember I have a friend, uh, he was like, you're from Indiana, right? I'm like, no, it's Nebraska. He's like Indiana, Nebraska, same thing. I'm like several States over. Yeah. They're not the same yeah. thing.
0: A little different, but whatever you want to tell yourself. Uh, no, that's uh, it's funny. Cause I mean, I think, you know, you have an idea and maybe you had an idea too, of what it was going to be like. And then you got there and it probably wasn't close to that. But do you think that experience made it easier on some of your moves along the way to just be able to, you know, pack up your life and, move across the world or across the country?
1: Absolutely. I I think I've moved like 11 or 12 times in my life. And I've decided that definitely looking back, just that not giving up the first time and not quitting when things got hard was really good for me as a person. So it's definitely prepared me to live the life that I do today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then, that move to Korea, because, I mean, it's something that we've kind of touched on, but, I mean, I don't think you and I have really ever got deep into it. I know you did some basketball stuff over there, and that's probably the extent. So, I guess let's just start at the beginning. Like, how does that how does that opportunity come up or come to fruition?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny, because whenever Koreans ask me, uh, well, how is your Korean so good? And then the same story I've said five million times in Korean, but... Probably only like a couple hundred in English. Is uh, essentially, I was coming back from my sister's wedding, and I sat on a plane. And the lady next to me said, "You should go to Yonsei University in Korea and go study Korean." And I'm like, "Why should I do that?" And she's mm-hmm. like, "It'll be a great experience for you." And I'm like, "I get home, I look it up on the internet, and I apply for the school." I say, "What the heck?" And I apply for the school, and I get in. Obviously, it was a Korean Language Institute. But I get in, and uh, I ended up studying there. And along the way, I hopped on this club basketball team uh, that was full of all these ex-D1 college players or national team players. And I was good enough at the time to play. And uh, that's really where my basketball part took off. And, um, yeah, I went there to study Korean. Most people you'll meet that go to Korea, they'll they'll go there to learn or teach English. The sure. Very few will actually go to study.
0: Yeah, no, that's extremely interesting. What I mean, good on you just like, yeah, I'll I'll check it out and apply and and then you end up going and doing it, but I mean, what was that had to be the biggest of culture shocks?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I say that if I didn't go from Nebraska to LA, I don't think I would have been able to go from Nebraska to Korea. For sure. Um, Nebraska to LA was a culture shock right and then la to korea i I look at it like this everything was so spaced out in nebraska and you get to la and things are are more compact and and houses are smaller and then you get to korea and your bathroom is in la is now the size of your apartment yeah oof
0: that's insane (laughs) to me i think the biggest (laughs) thing for me As obviously, you knew no Korean when you went, right? Or very little. Maybe you tried to get some, like bathroom. I don't know. No, I knew.
1: I knew how do I get here, and I had it written on a sheet of paper to get to my school. That's all I knew. Oh
0: my gosh! I, I think the language barrier would be the absolute hardest thing in the world to me. I mean, how did you, I mean, I just look at my like own right now, my own perspective, obviously living in Phoenix, I've come across more Hispanics than I ever have in my life. And I thought there was a ton back home, but here it's uh, very common for me to cross paths, especially in a workspace of somebody who doesn't speak any English. Right. Thank God for Google translate. I'll be like, who buys your welding supplies? Right. And then they're like, Oh, David, you know, and they take me, (laughs) take me to David, but it's, it's just one of those things. So I couldn't a bit everybody else around me speaks english right so you're on the opposite end of that you're living like that the guy that i talk to so what was that like navigating that space for you
1: you know we didn't have google translate back then and in fact we didn't you could buy a electronic dictionary but they were too expensive they're like 270 bucks so i was like eh, i'm not spending money on that yeah. so you'd have to flip through your dictionary whenever you found a word and be like okay and go back, and you know what that forced you to do? Memorize it way faster.
0: For sure, so you had
1: to memorize it way faster, otherwise you uh, you forget. And then, and then ultimately, um, you know, you go through these these moments where you just have to learn quickly, otherwise you can't survive. Right. And I think survival, your survival instincts, without you knowing, take over. You know, it's interesting. If you were to travel now to Korea and you'd go there, your English could carry you Sure. back when I first went, it was very rare. I, I saw one foreigner in six months living in the neighborhood. I did. And I remember we, we, we crossed paths. He was a French guy. I'm like, what a foreign guy in this neighborhood? Like, uh, it was like, Whoa, Whoa, what are you doing here? Uh, so it, it was very, um, yeah, it was very rare. And I think your survival instincts take over, and i think it's shaped me into who i am today for
0: sure no that's a very interesting take on it which i'm sure you're 100% correct just nothing i've ever had to or really had the want to experience and when you we were there when uh mid 2000s
1: yeah i first went in 2005
0: yeah so You, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's crazy also to think in 18 years, how much technology has changed too. I mean, from 2005 to today, it's kind of like, you know, when you think about it, 2005 doesn't seem so long ago. And then you think, you know, you talk about no Google translate or anything. It's like, oh, that was a little bit ago. So, um, (laughs) so how long until you are really finding your niche and like making your comfort in that completely new space?
1: Um, I'd say probably five to six months. I felt comfortable enough to speak Korean good enough. I say, I say when you learn a language, you want to build a box Yeah, and you want your box to slowly expand so that you feel comfort in being able to talk with people. And I think by the time I got through six months, five, six months, I was able to communicate in basic conversation, anything I needed, anything, as long as we weren't talking about Uh, thesis dissertations, you know, I think I could be able to have a conversation about anything. So I think that really allowed me to be comfortable. And again, whenever you go somewhere and you meet a bunch of new people, um, I think you just, you grow as a person.
0: No, for sure. I do also think you're much like myself. And I think obviously like Matthew has a little bit of the quality too, where you can meet new people and it doesn't ever seem weird. I mean, from the first time that we actually met in person right on the golf course, it was like, oh, you know, we've known each other forever. And there was never a time where it was awkward. So I think that's something that you you definitely have that in you as well, which is a wonderful trait to have. I'm very fortunate to have that. But... I will you say the the you were
1: crushing the ball the first, first time. I know. The first person
0: ever in my life that has been impressed with my golf game is Pat Leslie. And he he mm. saw me hit a couple drives and he was like, "Holy shit." And I I mean, it, they were they were okay at best, but Pat was freaking out on the range and I was like, "It's not good, man. It's not good." <laughs> oh, that's great. That's I will great. say though, too, your ability to speak Korean. When I was at your house for the Super Bowl COVID, right? Yeah. Chiefs Bucks. Um uh, yep. it's so it's just one of those languages, I think, too, when you see a white person speaking Korean. It's it's gotta just it takes people for a loop, right? Like it's just I just I don't know. When I you see a white person speak Spanish or I mean like some French, you know, a little bit of German, there's it's never, you don't really bat an eye at it. But to watch you and your wife communicate like that in that space, that was incredible for me. And maybe you get that reaction all the time. But what is that reaction like from people when you start to speak Korean and, and they don't know that you can
1: do that? Um, you know, it's an interesting uh, transition before I forget Imagine the house that I have now. Imagine that I used to live in a a closet sized apartment, right? When I lived in Korea, right? Yeah, (laughs) I got a nice, nice house. So um, I think it's it's funny. You get a couple of different reactions. Uh, I can only count about, about a handful of times in my life that somebody wasn't even remotely shocked that I spoke Korean. And in fact, I cherish those moments that they literally just respond to me in Korean. Like I'm a normal Korean person. Right. It's very rare. Um, It happened at a donut shop in Anaheim, California, randomly enough. The lady was like, just like I ordered in Korean. She was like, yeah, what else do you need this? All right. Goodbye. Not even a hesitation. That's pretty cool. It was great. It was like, it was like, it was like I'm Korean. Yeah. She just assumes. Uh, I did have instances. I think you would find these funny where I'd, I'd call in to do a meeting or a job or something like that. And when I actually went to the place, they found out I wasn't Korean and they were in shock because my Korean used to be, you know, I used to be, I said, I was a top 100 speaker of Korean that wasn't Korean in the world because I was valedictorian of Korean languages to, you know, I had to give the speech. So you really focused on your ability to become fluent. And yeah, the amount of times that people were just shocked is limitless, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, my wife's gotten sick of it. We'll go out to eat and we'll go to dinner and how many times they're just jaw drops. And I'm like, how do you speak Korean? And I've answered that question probably, you know, 15,000 times in my life. Right. So yeah, you, it definitely the shock, uh, but more so than the shock, I appreciate somebody being like, doesn't even hesitate. Guy speaks Korean. I don't don't care. It's all good. Normal.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, any, Any Asian language, I think, is just such a shock to hear. I mean, I just think that's probably like it's It's most of them are the most spoken language, but we, especially in America, you just don't hear it a lot, right? Like, So I think that was the biggest just shock for me, and I think anytime somebody's really good at something, like you said, like I could understand how those people, if you called in for like a job interview or something, and then you showed up, hearing you speak Korean, I could – totally understand how they're like, uh, who's the white guy? You know, like I could, I could understand. that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, transition a little bit. When did you come How long, I guess, how long were you in
1: Korea? Uh, so I, I lived there for a total of six years. I think it was on and off eight years. I went back and forth a couple of times, uh, finished my degree and, uh, You know, transitioning, um, I'm not even sure if this is your question, but ultimately transitioning back home, and and I've had this experience with a lot of other people. I think there's three kinds of people who live in a country like Korea that aren't Korean. Uh, They're the one and done. That's the one year and they're going home. They're uh, They're in the transfer. Okay, that means they're anywhere from like two to six, seven years. Yeah. And then there's the life first. And... I was deciding whether or not it'd be a lifer or, a, or a transfer. Yep. And I ended up saying, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to the U.S. i S I'm going to try this thing that, you know, uh, I ended up trying a business with my dad that didn't work out, but I gave it a shot. Sure. And, uh, ultimately I've had conversations with a lot of people that were the transfer pe- people that came back and that transition back is rough. Yeah. It's a rough transition back.
0: Why do you think that is? I mean, I I guess yeah, just in general, why do you think that coming back to America is so so tough?
1: Um I think there's a lot of people that act like they want to know more about you but they really don't want to know the stories about you, you know? So sure. when you when they meet you and they're like, "You oh, you went to Korea. Uh tell me more about it." They don't want they don't want to hear my story. They right. don't want to know, you know, and then sometimes you end up telling them a story that they probably don't really care about. Um, and also I think that, you know, you transition from being so important. You, you have, you have so much value just by being in a foreign country, uh, being an American, being able to speak fluent English. Uh, those skills are valuable. Then sure. you come back to the U S and it's like, what the heck am I going to do here? Right. Um, you know, hi, I speak Korean. Who cares? Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I mean, you know, as far as job applications, right? So I mean, Mandarin, yeah, but Spanish is valuable here. Sure, Sp- you speak Spanish. I see on the job. Okay, hey, uh, if you Google Korean jobs in Houston, Texas, for example, you might find seventeen jobs.
0: Right. You yeah. You know Spanish speaking jobs, million.
1: You'll you'll definitely find. I mean, there's just larger community. So right. anyway, um, I'd say that. And then uh yeah just the reverse culture shock. Call it a reverse culture shock.
0: Sure. Which is I mean I think it's probably I I know it's very interesting for people to hear you say that right now because a lot of people for my instance, right? People when I moved down here, people were like, "Well, you could just you can just move back if you don't like it, right? Like if it doesn't work out, you can just move back." And that feeling too is I mean, in my head, I was like, yeah, that's something I could do. But then to hear you say that now is like, man, that would be different to go from this extremely fast paced place in Phoenix where I have to, you know, schedule in drive times to get from here to across the Valley, to practice, to get back home. Right. And find alternate routes. Right. And I'm now calendarizing my entire day. And if I'm off, 15 minutes i'm screwed right to going back to rural america and being like oh it's a five mile drive and it'll take me five minutes to get there you know like okay you know no big deal and it's just a slower pace of life but i've never really thought of like the reverse culture shock of like that so it's very interesting to hear you speak on that
1: and you might also i mean you even phoenix back to you know a rural minnesota area would be a a reverse culture shock moment as you're mentioning. Seoul is so Seoul has the second most motorbikes per square mile in the world outside of Taipei. Sure. So you come, you know, you come back to Austin, Texas, and I remember rolling down my window and the very first thing I did was like, do you smell that fresh air? I mean, I remember that. I, I put my head out the window and was like, Man, yeah. smell that air. Yeah. Woo, that's clean. Yeah. And uh just a lot of pollution. You know, it's a big city. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fast pace of life. I was riding a subway every day. Uh, I had an hour and 20-minute commute, but I could get it in 55 minutes if I memorized every single transfer time. Sure. You know? So, so like you're saying, then all of a sudden, I start a car, and I can drive somewhere.
0: hmm Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, how big is Seoul? What's the population? I don't guess? think
1: Seoul's that, uh, somewhere a little over 20 million in the Seoul area. 20 I mean, million.
0: I mean, that's massive, right? I mean, that's a ton of people. That's, it's more than obviously anywhere here by a
1: lot. Uh, I mean, what yes. New
0: York City's 8 million, roughly.
1: Yeah. And I think maybe in the New York City area that you get, you add it in, you might get, you know, 13, 15 million. You might get $18 million depending on how far you go out, but not in such a tight area as Seoul. Right? Seoul's just – I mean, you talk about – I have a funny story uh, for my wife. She went to the dentist. And so my wife grew up in Chungwon, which is um, – it's a city. So the lady says, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. And my wife says, oh, I grew up in a small town too. And she <laughs> says, oh, how many people were in your small town – my small town had 800 people. And she goes, oh, we had just over a million. And so my wife considers her town to be a small town. But, uh, right. you know.
0: Now, that is that is humorous because my girlfriend and I have the same kind of dispute. And I just recorded with her earlier this week. So that will come out. That's one thing we talk about because when I first met her, she's like, oh, I'm from this small town. And then we go back and it's like 50,000 people and they got target and Chipotle. I'm like, well, this really isn't a small town. Y'all got a Texas roadhouse. All <laughs> right. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, that a bit, <clears throat> that is also like, I think when I've met people been fortunate to meet people, not from America and they see rural America, they're like, what are you doing with all this? You know, because in other countries, there's not really a countryside it's cities right there. I mean, countries are small. Like people don't really understand the, on the geographical magnitude of how small most countries
1: are compared to America. Absolutely. Not even close. I mean, the U S is so spread out diverse, right? Yeah. And we have all this space that we can waste. I mean, my house is a waste of space compared to, I mean, I could house, you know, several families in my house if yeah. we really
0: if divided you had to. it up
1: in. Yeah. And, and if I, if I put this house in the uh, Northeast Asia, I could definitely house a lot more people space wise and nobody would hesitate. <laughs> I went on an elevator the other day and I, I thought about this. Uh, one of my girls got the Athena word and they were all, you know, everybody's taking the same elevator down to the parking lot. And I was like, as I'm going to the thing, there's like, there's plenty of space to still get on this elevator. But people are like, oh, we'll wait for the next one. Well, and, you know, I, I remember that's not going to happen uh, in a busy time in Seoul, Korea. They're going to shove that thing until the thing says, full. We'll not take any more people.
0: Really? Like, it just pack it on. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah.
0: nuts. But, but I mean, you know, it's just something. I mean, I thought. I mean, Phoenix Metro is the fourth largest metro in America now. And here, I thought I was big city living. And then you're telling me about Seoul, Korea. It's like, well, maybe not. Feel like I'm back home in rural America here.
1: I have a scary elevator story. Is I was in uh, Pyongyang. It's called the uh, Yangakdo Hotel, and it's in North Korea. And it is the scariest elevator you'll ever go on in your life. So every time somebody steps on the elevator, it bounces. Yeah. And so a couple of uh, Chinese tourists were trying to shove more people into the elevator. And I finally had to say, you know, I don't remember if I said, I said boo, boo something, which means like, no, no, no more, no more. And uh, they all got upset. But I was like, I'm not going to die. On this, <laughs> yeah. So sorry. I'm clo- we're closing this thing. It's, it's relatively full. We're not going to fill it up so bad that I'm going to die.
0: Yeah, that's hilarious. So I do have a question that I think the audience would be entertained with. And it's probably something people have thought about a lot. You come here, we have Chinese restaurants, we have Korean restaurants, we have all this stuff. Is there American food restaurants in Korea, in Seoul?
1: They've recently started. They have American. And you mean like American-style Chinese food, or do you mean American restaurants? Like
0: like burgers and fries and, you know, they have.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now they're even expanding. So they have Shake Shack now they're oh. getting a five guys in in South Korea um they had McDonald's when I first went there uh they only had like McDonald's and Burger King uh and in fact I remember traveling to Osaka Japan and they had a wendy's and I was so excited they had a Wendy's yeah because I I consider Wendy's to be a step above McDonald's and Burger Kings by far by far so I enjoyed that moment uh but yes yeah they they They've really added, uh, I remember the first taco I had there, and I was all excited. They had Taco Bell when it came out. They eventually opened a Taco Bell, so that was really good when they opened a Taco Bell.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can, I mean, it's funny you said, I mean, earlier you said, like, like now more and more people from different, I guess, obviously countries, nations are moving to Seoul. Would you say that is more prevalent now? And if so, why do you think that is?
1: The uh, so you mean like more uh, they're getting more foreign influence in Seoul. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So
0: like what you said earlier, like it was very rare to come across another foreigner, and now it probably wouldn't be. And obviously the influx of American companies like Shake Shack, which isn't even everywhere in America yet, but right, they're right, they're going to Korea. So I mean, what what do you think is driving people there? What do you think is is driving that influx?
1: Uh, so combination of two things. One is a g- increasingly globalized world, right? Two, so much. Well, three. Two, two is it's so much easier to connect with people globally. Back in the day, we used to have to buy these phone cards to call my mom, and it'd be thirteen cents a minute. Yeah. Now they have these apps I can download and make a phone call, boom, and have a phone call instantly with somebody for free. Right. Um, so I think that closing down walls essentially. And then three, you have an increase of people who come to the U.S. to study. Sure. They come here to the U.S. to study. Then they bring something back that they really enjoy, and they're like, gosh, I'd really like to do this. Right. I remember all those years I kept saying if they open a cheesecake factory in South Korea, it will be a home run. Have they done it yet? And I I don't think they have, and they talked about it. I actually I actually tried to email the CEO many years ago and said, hey, I'll open your Korean one if you want. Mail deliver Damon or whatever that thing is that blocks your email. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I think we should invest in a cheesecake factory. It, I think they probably franchise out. We could probably we could pull that off. It's a that's a wonderful idea. I mean, really, if you've never been to a cheesecake factory, you can only order everything. Like <laughs> you can get anything you've ever wanted on the menu. So it would be a hit in a place like that. So before, I mean, absolutely. So when you were first there, because you're talking about like, you know, finding Wendy's for the first time, what was that? I mean, were you a big Korean food fan before you left?
1: Funny. The funny part is I barely tried any Korean food at all before I moved to Korea. Uh, So I think this really developed me as a person. Yeah. I think I had two meals that were Korean before I went. And then I arrived. I remember like my second breakfast there. Um, I stayed at this homestay house, which was very random. I got lucky that I found a place. And uh lady was making fish, spicy fish soup in the morning for breakfast. And I remember looking like, I do not expect that for breakfast. I'll take toast, yeah. cereal, yogurt, but spicy fish soup for breakfast isn't exactly what I'm looking for. Um, but that's a cultural thing. You know, there they, they eat, they consider a meal, a meal, right. You know, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, it's a meal. So yeah, that was a transition. I think as Americans, we have like different concepts of what breakfast, lunch, and dinner are, you know?
0: Yeah. Shout out um, America's dairy farmers for setting those precedents for us. Um, because <laughs> you're right. There's no, there's nowhere else where you, it's like, you know, if you asked any American what's what is breakfast food, they would you know, eggs, bacon, toast, pancakes, right? Like we have this whole menu that we only think is acceptable to eat before 11 a.m. And then it's like pushing. Yeah. And then it's like you get wild every once in a while and you have breakfast for supper at a waffle house. You are know, like, yeah, we're living tonight. You know, pancakes sounded good at seven. So <laughs> it is it is a weird thing to think about. Did, so you, Did you ever indulge in the spicy fish soup for breakfast?
1: Uh, you know, eventually I did. They have these. So they have what they call hangover soup. It's haizanggol, and it's hangover soup, and it's spicy. And you're supposed to take it if you uh, have been drinking too much the night before. And I've had that a few times, and uh, I actually live to enjoy it. I do enjoy Heizangok, so really? it's good now. That's Yeah.
0: So have you found, have you been fortunate enough to find a place in the Minneapolis metro with top-notch Korean food?
1: Uh, this is not a shout out to Minneapolis. There's a decent place. There's a decent place. Uh, it's in St. Paul. That place is pretty solid. I did have a place in Minneapolis that was solid. Um, but I haven't had a place in top notch in Minneapolis. No, no. We go to LA for the Korean food. We are, my wife and I literally will fly to LA for Korean food.
0: Just to be like, we've had enough. We got to get out there to have good Korean food. huh?
1: Let's 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 go for, like, a four-day thing. We'll, she has to get her hair cut. She'll only get her hair cut in L.A. or Korea because she has a big, big hesitation with getting their hair done by – I don't know, man. That's you know?
0: incredible. I you mean, got- I yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I mean, also, I'm not, I mean, the biggest culture shock for me was having to pay $30 for a freaking haircut when I moved to Scottsdale. And I was like, well, so I guess I get it, you know. Some people are the other way, so – that's great. I mean, yeah, that's incredible. So, no good Korean spots. I'll look for one for when you come down here. I'll. I mean, it probably won't be good, but I'll tell you if I like it, it'll be good. I have expanded my palate since moving to Phoenix. It is a great food area. There is a ton of good food here from all over the world. So I am more than just barbecue now. You know, barbecue and pizza. And you used got to be in that. and
1: out. So you got in and out.
0: See, that's where we're. And you still love In-N-Out, don't you?
1: Oh, yeah. I had In-N-Out a couple weeks ago. I I, I flew to Austin. I had In-N-Out twice. Yeah.
0: It's not that good. I think it's like like the Arby's rule, right? Like if you have Arby's once every six months, it'll be one of the best fast food sandwiches you ever have. I feel that way about In-N-Out, so I try to only have it when people are in town, because that's what they want, right? Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a delicacy to everybody from the Midwest where they're like, oh, in and out, in and out. It's like, no, oh, it's all right. Yeah. It's okay. So that's funny. but That's I'll,
1: a debate. That's yeah, a debate.
0: Yeah, it's it, it does not make any of my burger lists ever. So I used to love it, but now that I think I can have it all the time, I'm just like, no, nah, it's all right. So I agree with Shake Shack. That'd be up there for me. So that's cool. Good for Korea. Maybe when Korea gets in and out, that's when we know
1: that it's. Well, you would there's a funny story with that. One day they brought a hundred burgers, a hundred double doubles. And then they did an expo in Seoul. And the line was like, I mean, you know, several kilometers long. They didn't, couldn't even feed everybody, but they brought fries and double doubles Special Expo. I don't know how they did it, but they brought it and flew it in. They actually did it. Really? And yes. they, they only and brought a hundred because I had to go to work that day. And they only brought a hundred to go to work that day. I know, right? Why was only bring a hundred? Like people are going to like be fighting for those spots. Yeah,
0: that seems odd. I mean, was it kind of a lottery system? It just seems like ah, oh, we're bringing a hundred burgers. That's all we can do.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I I don't know what they thought. Like demand wouldn't be that high, dude. I I. I was like, I remember when I saw some flyer for that, I was like, oh, my gosh, can I go? And then it's like, I, I couldn't go because I had to go to work that day. And I was like, dang. Uh-huh. And in Korea, you can't take off work. It's very difficult to take off work. Is it really? Oh, my gosh. You you, you better be like, you better have a doctor's note and a, everything to make that happen.
0: That's incredible to me. I figure, I mean, I just didn't, I guess I didn't figure anything. I've never thought of it once in my life. What is it like to take off work in Korea? But It's surprising to me that it would be a difficult task. You know, it's not fairly difficult in America. I had pink
1: eye. I I had, like, really bad pink eye. Like, it was so bad. You know, like, the eye cold where you can't see out of your eye? Yeah. And I literally had eye cold, and my boss was like, just come in. We'll give you some light work. We'll keep it simple, but we need you here today. Incredible.
0: (laughs) That's just unreal to me. But, I mean, I guess it's... That's why they're tough. I don't know. That's just nuts to me. Was there ever I'm gonna move away from Korea here, but being in Go South for Korea, it. I have one more question. Being in South Korea, was there ever any angst or nerves about North Korea? Or do they not really worry over there?
1: Uh there's very little worry at all. I will say I will say the only time I was nervous was right after they had the uh I think it was or Uh, they had a island that got bombed, and right after, the U.S. said they were going to do military drills, and then Kim Jong Il died. Mm. So when Kim Jong Il died, and Kim Jong Un came to power, there was a little nervousness for a couple days if he was actually going to be able to transition to be the dictator or not. Right, and he had to kill, ended up having to kill some people and. And there he is, you know. And so, yeah, we had an escape plan. I was going to go get a bat. uh, And uh, I was going to grab some food and put it in a backpack. And and I was going to march south if I needed to. Because the very first thing, people say, well, go to the U.S. Embassy. What do you think the very first thing that would get bombed is the U.S. Embassy? So I'm not going there.
0: Right. Now, that's uh, that's (laughs) extremely... A lot. I mean, that had to be kind of a wild thought process to even have to think about putting a plan, having a plan. Right. But I mean, it's definitely something I remember a couple of years ago. I mean, it was probably 10 years ago. Now there's a girl from my hometown, uh, her and her now husband were living in Hawaii and they got an alert for an incoming missile from North Korea on all their iPhones so they just started calling their family, like they got those alerts, and they're like, "Well, where are you going to go? You know, you're on an island. Literally, you're yeah. going to swim back. Yeah. You know." So, they were <laughs> living there, and they got that alert. And I remember she said they called their fam their families and just said, "You know, we love you, and we'll see what happens." So,
1: yeah, it might not work out. Well, we'll see.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess transition a little bit to how. We know each other and getting into that space. Um, what made you want to get into coaching?
1: Um, so, first of all, basketball coaching, I got into basketball coaching because I saw this kid in Austin. I came back, had no intention of coaching, saw this kid doing the dumbest drills I could ever imagine. He was paying some trainer, and the trainer was promising he's going to give him all D1 scholarships. And I was watching, I'm like, this is – this is dumb. These kids are paying so much money. So finally I pulled one kid aside. I said, now, do you really want to be good at basketball? If you do pay me 15 bucks and I'll teach you something for 30 minutes, then do that for a month and come back and see me. So I ended up doing that, got a teaching gig. Uh, when I got a teaching gig, I taught at uh, Chavez high school and there was a kid, Dominique Franklin that asked if, um, he talked about not having a scholarship for football. And I was like, you know, you're pretty good, man. You should have a scholarship for football. And he's like, I don't have one. I said, all right, I'm going to try and become a coach. And my goal is to get you a scholarship. And uh, we ended up getting Dominique a scholarship. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how I got into coaching football and, and basketball. I tried to become a basketball coach. I won't get started on the negative parts. But uh, hmm. eventually the girls basketball coach came to me and asked me to coach. And I said, sure. Right. So that's how that worked out.
0: Interesting. Where did uh, Dominique end up going?
1: Texas Southern. He was a captain, and he graduated. Uh, I think he 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 graduated in um, in December.
0: Nice, very cool. Hat, hats cool off when guys. they see it,
1: when you actually see the full thing, right?
0: Absolutely, no, that's awesome. I love to hear that. Um, what was? I mean, how long were you coaching at Chavez before you moved up here?
1: Uh, four years. And then I moved up here. Uh, so it's funny in Texas, it's all about coaching. So you get your gig through coaching, right? So I came up to the clinic to go, my wife gets a job offer. Once she gets a job offer, I say, you know, there's a glazier clinic. I should fly up and, and just go promote myself and see if I can get a job teaching. Yeah. So I remember I got up there and I went to the clinic and everybody looked at me like, good luck, social studies and football gig. And I was like, Sure. Why not? I'm a coach. And yeah. Then, uh, you know, it ended up being that I got a couple football offers through that clinic, but no teaching offers. So I ended up, you know, falling through that whole process of getting licensed and all that. Got a job at North St. Paul as a teacher. They encouraged me to apply for a coaching gig there and I became the girls coach. Uh, and I wasn't going to coach football. um, their football wasn't that great at the time. And I was coming from Texas football, which um, was pretty high standard. And anyways, I ended up coaching football as well after somebody asked me to. So,
0: yeah, no, I know your passions there. Um, I know you did some stuff last year with Matthew too at Hamlin. You got to do some work there and I'm sure that was exciting, but you talked about the football team, not being very good. I I guess I kind of want to get into some culture stuff before we wrap up with you. Um, so when you got to Minneapolis, excuse me, I'm going to keep doing that. St. Paul North. When you got to St. Paul North, the women's basketball team wasn't very
1: hot either, were they? No, we were. they were 0-26 when I took over, and I did not know that. I just heard they needed some work, quote-unquote.
0: That's a little bit of work. It's a lot of bit of work. Coming <laughs> in, day one, what was... What was that day one practice like? Like what did you try to establish? Because I think this is where a lot of people fail. When you go into any kind of negative situation or situations where there hasn't been success, I think that there is a clear cut track to get there. But it's not an overnight thing. And I think the people that try to make it an overnight thing and say, okay, you did this, we're going to do the exact opposite now. I think that's where a lot of people fail. And it's clear to see from your success that you're not doing that. So what was that day one like to start building those relationships?
1: Um, you know, I think I started with uh they practice without the ball for a minute, and I had them all practice doing everything without a ball. And they're all kind of looking at me like, what are we doing? And I'm like, 90% of the people on the court don't have the ball in their hand. So you gotta play without the ball. And then we started to build up to just some drills and stuff. And by the end I told them, okay, I'm going to play me versus all of you. And if you guys can beat me, I'll be in shock. And <laughs> it happened to be during the era of COVID. So I had a mask on. So about four or five times that on the court, I was exhausted. <laughs> and, uh, but I think it started with fun. Right. And I told them, we looked up, you had all these teams on the board. And I said, Hey guys, you probably haven't beaten these teams, but I promise we can beat them all, but it's going to take a little bit. It's not going to happen right now. But yeah. if you guys want to do that, let's try and do that and have fun while we're doing it. And uh, and I built my culture around contagious enthusiasm. I used to punt the ball in the air, but I could break a, um, I could break a, a, a light bulb, so I didn't want to do that anymore. I'd grab the ball and just punt it in the air when they did something really good. Uh, so, yeah, just be, like, super excited whenever they did anything good and then just keep that going. Yeah, I love it. I've,
0: was there a little bit of – blowback or some not necessarily backlash, maybe even, but like some resistance to to you coming in and, and doing what you're doing when you got there?
1: Yeah, I think uh, initially they were all very skeptical um, because they were like, you know, who's this guy? What's he going to show us that we don't know, right? Right. And uh, I think they initially were very skeptical, and I think there was a lot of moments where I had to tell them, Um, you know, they had to learn how to trust me and that took a while. It did take a little bit of time. Um, but ultimately that's why you got to build the relationships, right? You got to build those relationships to get them to ultimately believe in your vision. And I think by year two, they really started to believe once they saw they were winning.
0: Yeah. Year one, how many games you win, Liz?
1: Two, two and 12 COVID year, baby. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean but we beat we beat tartan for the first time in like 6 or 7 years and the year before we lost by 50 to him. That's incredible.
0: So then the year after covid, I just want to talk about this trajectory you're on cuz I know that it's it's getting better and better and you guys are doing some incredible things, you and you gals, your gals. But so then year 2, how <laughs> how was it?
1: Uh year 2 we were 10 and 15. And we all knew we'd be good the following year. I felt like we could have done better than 10 and 15, but still we did pretty good. Yeah. So. And then this last year, we were 19 and eight.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in really three years, you completely flipped a program, which is no easy task. And you took a program that obviously nobody else wanted. And I think now, I mean, I can see, yeah, obviously you talked about uh gal winning the Athena Award, right? Which I think is a big yes. deal. That's what it's part of Randy Shaver's stuff, right?
1: Yes, Randy Shaver was there.
0: Yeah. So I mean, I guess just quickly touch on the Athena Award, because I mean that's a that's a big deal. I mean, to go to to Saint Paul North. Um, I think that's big for your program and it probably is gonna be another stepping stone for you.
1: Well, usually so we hadn't had a Athena Award player who was like their primary sport was basketball for I guess a long time. I don't it's been, you know, over 10, 12 years. Um, and Maggie, uh, who was our guard, I mean the story of Maggie is just awesome, right? Like I go back in the film and I look, she was, you know, averaging five points a game and by this year she had a couple of games where she had twenty six something points and she's, you know, helping us win games and uh, get some votes for conference player of the year. And so she ended up doing so well for herself that she got this college scholarship. And um, yeah, I think just going to that Athena award and seeing all those elite athletes and how many accolades they have is impressive. Yeah. I and mean, those kids have done some amazing stuff, you know, absolutely. Uh, just a room full of proud people, proud parents and successful people. Yeah.
0: Nothing better. And then Patrick
1: Leslie randomly in there, you know?
0: One of the top-notch right there. You and Randy Shaver probably (laughs) cutting it up in the back. (laughs) That's great. Um, So, I guess, like, you know, you said, you know, unrivaled enthusiasm. Maybe that's not exactly what you said. I think that's Jim Harbaugh's tagline there is unrivaled (laughs) enthusiasm. But what, I mean, have you felt that contagious enthusiasm grow throughout your program?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, (laughs) You talk about the first, uh, the first fall league that we did. Uh, I was on this, I'm not allowed to coach. So I was in the stands and I remember that you just see like a couple of people clapping and I would stand up and I would continuously clap intentionally as loud as I could and scream, great job, great job, and, and try to get the kids to do it. And, uh, you know, later in the year, it was, it was more enthusiasm. And then these past couple of years, you know, you could see players on my team jumping up and down when somebody did something great and uh, sprinting to help a teammate up. And, and that took years to do. But getting people to believe in the power of contagious enthusiasm – is awesome. It's funny. I, I had my former linebacker give a pregame speech to the girls before he beat Hill Murray for the first time in a long time at Hill Murray. And, uh, when we did that, I had Alex call and and do a zoom. And I said, what, what's one word you remember from me coaching it? And he just goes contagious enthusiasm. Like that's awesome. You still remember it. Yeah. So that, that's, that's what you want. You know, you want your culture to stay. And and impact humans. Right. For sure. That's the
0: biggest part of culture. Have you seen your culture expand through those girls to other things they're doing? Like, I mean, academically, you know, you know, obviously athletically, but like even maybe in other sports, uh, maybe their involvement just in different things in, in school. Cause I think when you're <clears throat> at the level at the high school level, it, it takes a lot to be able to do it, right? I mean, just in general, to have the patience and want to be there for the right reasons, it takes a lot. But to see and actually transform people and a program, I'm just curious, have you seen that transformation in other aspects of their lives?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'd say just even confidence-wise, we had a couple players at the banquet, I said, uh, I've been impressed with you on the court, but even more so. So I write thank you cards to every player several times throughout the year. And eventually one player got it like, Hey, how long does it take you to write these thank you cards? I'm like six hours. She's like, wow, you spend six hours on writing thank you cards for us. I'm like, yeah. And I think that hit, you know, and and then that maturity and gratitude started to show. So that impact on the kid, they started to be more grateful um, and then, as you mentioned, uh, students joining more sports. I've had some girls join track that would have never played track. Uh, they were just gonna, you know, only play basketball, and they're like, you know what? I'll play that too. Uh, yeah. I want to make an impact. And I think the kids' confidence, wise too, right? Having the school be at their game, winning their first playoff game in 12 years, right? And just having that success and that feeling of success, I think it's going to go a long way in their lives,
0: for sure. Um, has, has your impact on that program been received and maybe reciprocated in other areas of the athletic department?
1: Um, you know, I've been sitting on these, uh, panels of when they interview somebody now Mm -hmm. they've invited me to sit on those. So I think they think so highly of me, which I'm grateful for is that they think highly enough of me to, uh, judge or, or give an opinion on a potential interview for a coach, which I'm really grateful for. Right. So absolutely. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think just in football, we were able to, you know, football, they were, I didn't know they hadn't won a game in four years and I joined as a defensive coach and we, we won a game. The kids all started crying after we went a game, They're like we won a game and <laughs> you know, uh, so, yeah, I think, I think definitely you can make an impact in the in the building, man. Like, and I'm a teacher, right? So I can make an impact in the building every day. Right. Which is awesome.
0: Yeah. No, it is. I mean, that's a tough – I've always been obviously an off-campus coach. But I will say that I was fortunate enough to hire the right people around our football program before I left – that you could start to see the changes made. And one of my best friends I brought on now he's the baseball coach. And then another guy I brought on, he's the football coach now. Right. And so it was like, we're slowly doing these things to make it a, a better place for everybody, not just the football team. And it took a long time for people at a small school to realize we're all in on, we need the school. We need everybody. Right. Like, but once they did then now it's you know they're doing great things and I'm super happy to keep up on them and see that they're still trending upwards but I think at the district level where you were at for you to come in and you can probably you can deny it that's fine but to see the impact that just Pat Leslie coming in has done for the St. Paul North district is is pretty incredible and you probably don't get get the thanks that you deserve but I'm going to give it to you and big props to you because anybody that's followed Minnesota sports knows that that's not a easy place to be successful and and you're doing it and you're helping other other teams as well so hats off to you Leslie
1: hey I uh I well I appreciate that but I tell I tell everybody it's the kids and it's the coaches that I've been fortunate enough to work with or work under that that in the administration and the you know the custodians yeah. that are out there every night sweeping the floor and you, you greet them. And it's funny when you see the custodians, that are like, Hey coach, I saw the game. Good win. And mm-hmm. you're like, Hey, let's go, man. Yeah. So that contagious enthusiasm in the building is a critical thing.
0: It's the best man. It's the best. And you've since my, my time knowing you, there's only been one level to Pat Leslie and it's, and it's here at a hundred and I absolutely love it. And don't ever change, man. Uh, it's, it it's just great to see you doing good stuff and I know that there's more stuff ahead for you so I'm excited to keep following your journey man
1: i'm I'm curious to see where my journey lands i've I've moved 11 times in my life Where does my journey end in this world I don't know but I'm excited to see where it all takes me man
0: <laughs> I mean you've had a you've had an impact on people worldwide and not a lot of people can say that so. I mean, keep doing what you're doing. There's no, no doubt. Whatever you're doing is is a recipe to success and impacting lives. And I know that that's what's most important to you. So,
1: I'm super. I'm super grateful, man. And I enjoyed our our conversations on uh, football and also our conversations on your elite golf driving.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: And let's never forget that we played best ball when we played, and there were a couple. That I came out of nowhere. Yeah, though no, that's actually, true. I actually had a couple balls that we played best ball, and my ball was the best a few times, and I was in shock.
0: No, it was. It was a great day. I'd love to. I'd love to get back and do that again, just us three, because that was an absolute blast. Do you own your own clubs yet?
1: No, I I borrowed them all from Matthew. Yeah, time. And I made, I think it was my first time playing in like what was it like seven years or something. Something that's remember. what you're saying, it but incredible. I think it, it was, it's it was a while.
0: It's time for you to get your own for sure.
1: <laughs> I will say you guys got me into golf a little bit, dude. The weather is nice in the summer here to play golf. It's a yeah. nice it's a nice time of year to go golfing. I get why people do it.
0: Yeah, because you gotta you gotta milk every ounce out of your ninety days of beautiful that you can in Minnesota.
1: It's 40 degrees in uh, late April here, 40 degrees. So, yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when I moved down here, it was about the same time and you guys got like 15 inches of snow and I was sending videos to everybody of me drinking beer in the pool. So I don't feel bad about it. But <laughs> here you go. Hats
1: off to you. Yeah. You You know, I see people with a pool here and I wonder how, what do you get like two and a half months out of it? Maybe.
0: Oh, if that. If that, yeah, pools in Minnesota just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Just go to the lake. I don't know. That's how I've always felt.
1: It's great. Yeah, just go just in the lake. And I mean, the maintenance on your pool must be so high for, you know, what, 65 days you can actually get in there. You better take advantage of that.
0: Oh, you got to. Yeah, if you're not in for all of those
1: days, you waste money. By far. Absolutely. By you'd far. probably get a gym membership for those two months and you'd be better off.
0: Oh, for sure. Than the other one. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Leslie, I appreciate you, brother. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, thank you so much for jumping on here with me. It means a ton. It's I'm so glad great. we could connect again and uh be sure to reach yeah. out soon and we'll we'll keep we'll keep in touch here.
1: Super grateful, man. Thank you for uh interviewing me. Thank you. And I look forward to Hearing it. Dude. Yeah. You're awesome, dude. Keep kicking it.
0: Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much to everybody listening at home. Please like, comment, share, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again, rate five stars. Be good, everybody.